Hey, Daily Punch listeners, I'm Anna Palmer. And I'm Jake Sherman. And welcome to The Daily Punch Extra. This week, we are dropping three bonus episodes of conversations Jake had with top House Republican leaders who were down in Orlando, Florida for their annual retreat. All right, Jake, up next, we have House Minority Whip Steve Scalise. For our listeners that don't know too much about him, give us a little download on who he is and why he matters. Steve Scalise represents Louisiana. He's a New Orleanian. I guess that's the word, Anna. Is that the word? A New Orleanian. He's a New Orleanian through and through. We're going to work it. Um, work on that, <laughs> that for the next time. He is the number two House Republican. Um, somebody who's incredibly crucial to the House Republican minority right now. He told me he's very bearish on um, on Republicans taking the majority in uh, 2022. We talked to him about police reform. Uh, very interestingly, I, I didn't expect this, but Steve Scalise um is not at all interested in his in his old friend Tim Scott's um police reform proposal very interesting uh, he's not interested in all at all in reforming federal policing laws which i think is going to be we had an interesting conversation about that uh we had an interesting conversation about securing the capitals Scalise has some views on that um uh and I, I would i would be to be honest with you Scalise has a very close friend in Cedric Richmond the former Louisiana congressman democratic congressman who now works for the Biden administration he tells us he is still speaking to Cedric Richmond. He doesn't sound terribly bullish, to be frank, that that relationship will mean much when it comes to bipartisanship. But anyway, hope you enjoy the conversation. All right. And with that, we hope you enjoyed this conversation between Jake and House Minority Whip Steve Scalise. Okay, uh, so something that people don't know about you that I know about you is you're a Disney fan. Your family's been Disney fans for a long time. What is, I mean, are you going to go to the park this time around or you're not going to make it in this thing? Not that we've been back since, you know, since they reopened after COVID. Oh, you have uh, We have young kids and needless to say, they love uh, love Disney, love going on on the rides. And, uh, and now they're able to go on all of them because they've gotten a little bigger now. Have you... Do you have a count on how many times you've been? Because you do oh a big gosh. fundraiser at Disney, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do an event out there, yeah. and uh, got to combine. You, know. you got to get your family to. You got to do events that you're with young kids that your family could actually like go to. Yeah, <laughs> and my li- my sister lives in the Tampa area, so it's a good chance for oh, yeah, good, her right. to get together and you know and see see the kids. Okay, so let's talk about important things now. Um, your friend Cedric Richmond went to the White House to to lead their business outreach. Basically, have you talked to him since you're since he's been over there? Yeah, I saw Cedric last week, and we were just catching up on things. And, uh, you know, and obviously the job's very, you know, taking a lot of his time, but he's enjoying it. And uh, I'm real happy for him. I mean, Cedric's been a dear friend for a long time, since before we were both in Congress. Uh, but he's, uh, you know, he's able to to be in the middle of a lot of the, the things going on in the White House, but he still goes home every weekend. Uh, so so we, we still stay in touch. And, yeah, and then you, they had the special election to replace him that just got uh, finished up Saturday night. So uh, Do you know the new, the new member? Yeah, Troy a, Carter. Yeah. I, I served with Troy back in the state house, and then Troy ultimately went on to the New Orleans City Council. He's currently a state senator, uh, but just got elected Saturday night to Congress. And he's a great person, somebody who, you know, probably similar to, to Cedric, you know, the, the we, he and I won't vote alike on a lot of things, right. but we both care about the city of New Orleans, and we're, we've already talked about things that we can do together to, to work on, on helping the city of New Orleans and the things that are important to Louisiana where we're going to have things in common. And, you know, the, the areas where we differ, you just put that on the side, but, uh, but you work together for the things that, that you can agree on, and, uh, and he sees it that same way. Do you – so with Richmond and the White House, I mean, 
is there any hope you I, I would imagine given what you guys have been saying you guys meaning house republicans there's not a ton of hope that there's a ton of common ground it doesn't appear at this point we, we've tried to find common ground with the president i know uh leader mccarthy myself we've tried to reach out to meet with the president on everything from the covid relief bill that they ultimately shut all republicans out from to infrastructure where we've had a lot of good ideas sam graves the lead republican on the in, on the transportation committee has had a lot of good ideas on infrastructure, but uh, so far the White House hasn't reached back, and and they're not talking about traditional infrastructure. Frankly, 75% of the bill that they're proposing has nothing to do with traditional infrastructure, and by that I mean roads and bridges and ports and waterways and broad broadband. So that's where we would like to see the focus. But if if it's about raising taxes and implementing the Green New Deal and putting charging stations for electric vehicles when 97% of Americans don't even own an electric vehicle. Uh, that's that's a lot of money spent on things that have nothing to do with infrastructure. Uh, that's not the direction we're going to go. And frankly, that would hurt the economy if you raise taxes and make our country more expensive than communist China, uh, having a higher tax rate than communist China. Uh, that's going to hurt American jobs. So, uh, you know, we'd, we'd like to meet with them to see if we can find common ground. But so far, uh, the White House hasn't reached out to House Republicans, and they've been going on their own. And that's not what President Biden got elected on, but that's how he's governing. What do you, when you see the Senate Republicans have put out a, a counterproposal or, uh, you know, I guess a counteroffer to the Biden stimulus bill, uh, still quite expensive. Uh, I'm curious how you view that, how you view their offer led by Susan Collins and Shelley Moore Capito and people like that. And look, we've been working on this going back to President Trump's administration. President Trump had tried reaching out. I was in some of those meetings at the White House with Democrat leadership, uh, and he had multiple meetings like that. And Speaker Pelosi walked out of the meetings on every front where, you know, ultimately they were never able to get an agreement, I think, because Speaker Pelosi didn't want President Trump to get a victory on infrastructure. But we were talking about something in the hundreds of billions of dollars, but that was fully paid for without new taxes and would leverage some of the private sector investment that comes with a lot of infrastructure projects. But the other part of this, Jake, and, and I think it needs to be a part of any discussion on infrastructure, is the permitting process. Most infrastructure projects, and I'm talking about major roads or bridges, get killed because it might take 10 years to do a project that should take six months to one year. And when you have all of these different, whether it's the Endangered Species Act or the NEPA process or roadblocks that are put up by Washington just to block a project and make it so expensive that it can't be done, uh, that's something that's got to be confronted. I know it's something President Trump wanted to confront, and we have some really good ideas on that uh, on that side in terms of policy. And, and again, Sam Graves and his Republicans on the Transportation Committee have put a, load of, a lot of those ideas on the table and had a lot of Democrat interest. And so I'd like to see us work on those things where we have common ground that would lower the cost so you could the taxpayer could get more bang for their buck. I think that's what a lot of people get frustrated by is they see these trillions of dollars of bills coming uh, and, and they know that very little of that's actually getting spent on real work. Why don't we make the money work a lot smarter so the taxpayer gets a real value for the, the dollars they spend? The core of your opposition to the infrastructure bill, I mean, there, I'm sure you have a lot of areas of opposition, but is that it, in your estimation, deals with too many extraneous things. That's, right. And it's too expensive. Yeah, when 75% of the bill that Speaker Pelosi is proposing has nothing to do with roads, bridges, ports, waterways, and broadband, it begs the question, what are they really doing and why do they call it an infrastructure when it has nothing to do with infrastructure? I think what they're doing is recognizing people across the country would like to see a real infrastructure bill, so they're hiding behind that popularity to push a socialist agenda on the Green New Deal, on the charging stations for, again, 97% of Americans are paying car notes 
on non-electric vehicles? Why are you only catering to the 3%? And by the way, that would be paid for monthly on people's electricity bills. So everybody in America will be paying higher electricity bills to give free charging stations to 3% of America. I thought Bernie Sanders was the one that used the 1%, and yet they're trying to help their rich friends at the expense of regular hardworking families. What the, what the White House always says is, um, well, you should go, not me, but reporters should go ask Republicans, do they not believe that infrastructure is needed? And you clearly believe it's needed. The hard infrastructure, $936 billion, I believe, of hard infrastructure road bridges, in this bill. Yeah, and you got to be responsible about it, about it too. You got to recognize there is no free lunch. And this idea that they're out there selling the the, the idea you can just print 2 trillion dollars and somebody else is going to pay for it. I think most Americans recognize they are going to be the ones to pay for How it. How do you pay for it? So Mitt Romney has has indicated user fees, right? So people who use roads should pay for the roads. People who use airports should pay for the airports. So presumably he means, I think he means building in an additional fee, a tax probably in, in common uh, uh, terms to help repair them. How do you think about that? When we were working on a bipartisan bill in the past, it was hundreds of billions of dollars of reprioritized money. And again, there's ways to do this. And there were agreements on a lot of this from Republicans and Democrats on the Transportation Committee. And then all of that got shelved because it was clear that Speaker Pelosi didn't want to work with Republicans. And so, you know, they can talk about raising taxes. I think, number one, it's bad policy because we saw what was happening. You don't have to reinvent this wheel. When we passed the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, one of the main reasons we did it is because America wasn't com- competitive again. Remember all the companies that were leaving America moving? It's called inversions. When an American company relocates to pick your country, Ireland or, or Brazil or somewhere else because they had a lower tax rate. We were at 35% and the rest of the world's average was 23%. So America was not competitive and we were losing our middle class. Millions of good jobs. When we cut taxes, we actually saw those jobs coming back. There's not been a single inversion meaning not a single American company has moved overseas to relocate since we cut taxes. And now here comes President Biden talking about raising taxes again to the point where we would have a higher tax rate in America than communist China. People get that that's going to cost us jobs. You know, you might think it's some woke CEO that's going to pay the bill. He's not going to pay the bill. It's going to be the hardworking families, uh, the jobs that move out of our country to go to China, to go to India and and Russia with, with Keystone. The Keystone pipeline was thousands of good high paying jobs that are gone. They're gone now. And Canada is still producing that oil. They're just not refining it in America. So guess what else happens? We actually have higher carbon emissions because of that, because America's got better standards than anybody else in the world. If you're making things, whether it's refining oil or it's making steel, You want to be making those things in America because the steel's right now being made in China instead of Pittsburgh. China emits five times more carbon. So if that's your concern about carbon emissions, by doing the Green New Deal, by killing the Keystone Pipeline, you're killing American jobs and you're actually increasing global carbon emissions. So it's it's very misguided policy. But unfortunately, the radical left has the agenda that they're driving and President Biden's just going along with whatever AOC and Bernie Sanders tells him. Now, you you guys here are pretty bullish on winning back the House. Um, very. Clearly, very bullish on winning back the House. I've heard that a couple times. Um, what do you, So, uh, you know, in 2010 and 1994, the last two big kind of elections, you had to win a lot more seats, but you had these kind of big governing agendas. 
what do you think if if you had a bumper sticker? I know it's early, it's only April, you know, 2021. What is the kind of bumper sticker message for Republicans in 22? The way you see it now, that could change, you know, depending yeah, on events. Well, we're fighting for jobs and, and they're fighting to grow the size of government. And look, I'd rather be us than them for a lot of reasons. Uh, but when you see the results of what they're doing, uh, John Kerry summed it up when he smugly said that when he was asked, what are you going to tell these thousands of workers that are being put out of work that are building the Keystone Pipeline? He said, oh, I'd tell them to go get a job installing solar panels well first of all it's it's such a blatant insult uh, to those workers who have really good jobs uh, there is there are not enough of those jobs installing solar panels and by the way the ones that are out there are about 30 percent less that they pay and they don't have the kind of benefits and the fact that he doesn't know that and he's okay with just killing their good job uh, all in the under the guise of global warming but he doesn't even believe in that because uh, he finally got busted flying around on his own private jet which emits 40 times more carbon than if we if would have flown on commercial liner to go to iceland uh, of all things to pick up a global warming award flying a private jet to iceland to pick up a global warming warming award nothing says liberal elitism like that and then he's got the nerve to to get rid of these guys' jobs and then to tell them they can just go and install solar panels. It's like uh, Marie Antoinette saying, let them eat cake. Let me ask you, let me change gears for a second here quickly. Um, before we run out of time, I told you I'd keep it to 10 minutes. I'm already over we're, 10 we're, minutes. Yeah, so we're getting close. So yeah. uh, let me just get, a, get you on a few more topics here. Russell Honoré, your fellow Louisianan, I'm assuming you know him, right? Yeah. Uh, made a bunch of recommendations about securing the Capitol post-January 6th. I wonder how you think... I mean, how you think about those changes that he's recommending. Yeah, you know, and, and a lot of us have had conversations about what can be done to, to, to put up a stronger perimeter around the Capitol, especially at the entry points. You know, I want to make sure that the Capitol is still the people's house where, where Americans can come and see their democracy in action, but you've got to make sure that, that it's secure. And there were concerns expressed prior to January 6th about some of the weaknesses, and, and surely uh, that was exposed. And so let's go shore that up. But without fencing and barbed wire where the public isn't allowed in to see the people's house, you can do both. And I'd like to see the conversation focused on how you make sure that you shore up the, the windows and the doors that could have been kicked in by anybody. Uh, you can s secure that without shutting the facility off uh, for the, the viewing public. If people want to come and meet with their members of Congress, they ought to be able to do that. They can't right now. I'd like to see that change. Uh, so you can do both. And I'd like to see that be the focus. Now, um, as we sit here today, there was a fence jumper at the Capitol today. I'm not sure if you saw that. So that's an interesting, interesting dynamic. Okay, one more topic. Um, something that's getting gaining steam, I think. And I'm not surprised, but I'm, I'm surprised it's gaining as much steam as it is, is police overhaul police laws. Um, Tim Scott, your former colleague in the, uh, in the house is now in the Senate is leading that charge. Uh, I'm curious how you think about some of these issues when it comes to police overhaul, uh, police law overhaul, like, um, qualified immunity and things of that nature. He wants to, the, the discussion is allowing people to sue police departments instead of individual police officers. Yeah. And look, Tim Scott's been trying to work on, on a bipartisan basis to, to address bad police departments, especially uh, without undermining the work of the good police officers who risk their lives for us every day. My, my colleague and roommate, Pete Stauber, uh, who's now in the house from Minnesota, he used to be a police officer right. yep. in Duluth, Minnesota. And so he knows what it takes to, to support good cops, but also to address the problems of bad policing. And usually when you see bad policing, it's not just one dirty cop, it's, it's a culture in a bad poorly run department. I saw this in New Orleans. 
the city of New Orleans in the 1990s had blatant corruption. There were police officers who went to jail uh, and there were dirty cops because it was being allowed. And to his credit, Mark Morial, who was the mayor of New Orleans at the time, he's now the head of the National Urban League. Uh, Mark and I clashed on a, a number of different issues when I was in the state legislature, but he got this right. And he confronted it. He brought in a really good police chief who confronted the problems in the department and they cleaned up those problems and they didn't tolerate dirty cops. All the good cops out there, the, the worst thing that they can see as a good cop is to see a dirty cop because it makes everybody look bad. We know that's a very small percentage. You root them out. You don't undermine the work of good police by getting rid of qualified immunity. Uh, and so I would just like to see us focus on not just dirty cops, but also poorly run departments and maybe we can help them with better training. Uh, but, you know, you go look at Minneapolis, the reputation they had uh, before George Floyd's murder, that was that that was a poorly run department. And, and so you, you don't do that by getting making it harder for good people to join the police force, because there there's a, a real exodus that we're seeing a lot of big cities of cops that are retiring early because they just don't want to be a part of this culture of defund the police that the left seems to be embracing. So I'm strongly against the defund the police movement. Uh, let's focus on how to help the good cops uh, root out the bad cops. So you, just to be clear, just one one last question here. You believe it's kind of incumbent on the individual police departments to clean up their own act, not Congress to step in and, and rewrite Yeah, Police departments are run by local governments, uh, you know, whether it's a mayor appointing a police chief or an elected sheriff or police chief. Uh, depending on how it's done locally, there's direct accountability at the ground level. And if a mayor is mismanaging their police department, the idea that you just defund all police or take away protections for good police is psychotic because then you'll have even worse problems if, if good cops don't want to join the force. Uh, that's the worst thing because in any community, if you've got a problem with crime, uh, it's the people that are in those communities that are the first to call 911 uh, to, to, to make sure cops can come in and protect uh, people who are, who are abiding by the law. Thank you. Steve Scalise, House Minority Whip, Republican from Louisiana. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for listening to The Daily Punch.